Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of All Too Familiar. My name is Cindy. I will be your host today, like I usually am. And joining me for today's conversation is a very special, special friend. Her name is Hannah Acuspit. You want to introduce yourself, Hannah? Hi, everyone. My name is Hannah. And like Cindy said, I am her special, special friend. <laughs> Two times as special. <laughs> And thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here, and I've been, um, I've been nervous about this. Not gonna <laughs> lie, but thank you for having me. And yeah, can't wait to have a good conversation with you. Let's go. <laughs> so I feel like to start off, we we should kind of describe our relationship, like how we know each other, how we met. Um. So Hannah and I are very close. I feel like for anyone who knows us, they know we're like the duo. <laughs> <laughs> um, Double the trouble. <laughs> exactly. Um, but our friendship actually started relatively late. We met in college, but we didn't really become close until what, senior year, I want to say? Or was it junior year? I would say junior year. Yeah, We met junior- in junior-, junior year and we instantly got close for some reason. I, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I honestly don't recall. But we essentially, we met in pediatric clinical. We're bo- both nurses. Hannah's a mental health nurse, and I'm an ICU nurse. And we had the same pediatric rotation where we went to, like, this pediatric hospital and kind of developed our skills as nurses. So that was how we met. And through that experience, I think we just kind of got to know each other, and now we're each other's exactly yeah so because we met so late in college i honestly we talk about this every now and then but i don't know much about like your childhood and i feel like you don't really know much about mine Hmm. aside from the very basics so i'm chinese american and you're filipino american Mm -hmm. and yes yes (laughs) (laughs) and I feel like the biggest difference in our childhood from our discussions is the fact that I was born in the United States whereas you immigrated here yeah so you want to talk about like what was it like growing up having to move to a whole new country versus like living in the Philippines so now that I'm 24 it's so funny to just look back I moved here when I was 12 so the first half of my life was in the Philippines, and the second half is here now. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved here with my parents. We immigrated thanks to my grandparents who petitioned us. So mm-hmm. I moved here when I was in sixth grade. I had to start sixth grade all over again because there's a difference on like where kids start here. You start in September. We start in March back home mm-hmm. in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. So I moved here. I had to restart sixth grade and it's so different to the school system is different um you have middle school here we didn't have middle school back home so sixth grade yeah so sixth grade was essentially like you learn a lot of topics that you would learn in high school sorry in middle so basically here you have elementary school and middle school so um Elementary school back home is just like a squished version of elementary school and middle school. Mm -hmm. So when I moved here, I thought school was super easy. 
you know, especially math, because back in the Philippines, they focus so much on science and math. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was so easy here. So I just, I didn't study. And that's why I'm like super lazy now. I procrastinate (laughs) all the time. You just like cruise through? Yeah, I I kept that as my habit. And it was just so different. There's a lot of culture shock was definitely a thing. And that's that's something we've talked about before, too. You've asked me, you know, when did you realize or recognize like culture shock? Yeah. Did you feel like it was hard? hard fitting in coming from the Philippines at such a young age? It was. It was weird. I felt like I just didn't process it that much. Mm. So I was I moved here when I was in middle school. And at that time, I kind of just preoccupied myself by watching lots of TV, lots of anime. And I Mm. didn't really process it that much. I recognize that it's so much different because you're surrounded by people who look so much different than you and in the philippines Mm -hmm. i was surrounded with people who look like me and i didn't even have the concept of race back then because everyone Mm. was the same race and when i moved here different races different skin colors different cultures and Mm -hmm. it was different but i was just absorbing it so easily because i was 12 at that time and you know at that point in your life it's just so easy to absorb things and get used mm. to things without really processing what you're absorbing every time. So mm-hmm. I just kind of went with a went with a flow and just lived life. I did my thing, you know, I had lots of hobbies and I at many times, at many points during that time in my life, I did feel like an outsider mm-hmm. because I went to predominantly white school. And I didn't, there's not a lot of Asian people there. There's not a lot of Filipinos until one day I met this Filipino girl in my (laughs) computer class and she was also Christian and I'm Christian. And so she invited me and my family to their church. And it turns out that their church is a Filipino church. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was like 13 at the time. So like I spent a year just by myself with my family trying to figure out, you know, what this foreign country is, you know, learning about Mm -hmm. the food. And that's another thing we can talk about. Like food was such a culture shock to me too. how different it was here. And in school, like bringing food. Oh, my gosh. Yes. (laughs) Bringing food. Oh, my God. I remember I would have. Uh, bo- like box lunches, we you would yeah, call it. So like my bento box. Yeah. So my my mom, you know how like Asian parents, that's a big way for them to express love. Like that's their yeah. love language, preparing food. So yeah. they didn't really want me to buy food there because what's the point? They're gonna cook food for me anyways. So yeah. they would cook food for me every time, and it's always like rice and some dish, and mm-hmm. people were always so curious about what I would bring to school for lunch. And they would always look yeah. at it and be like, so excited when I'm about to open my lunch. <laughs> and they're just like, Oh, my God, that's so much rice. How do you eat so yeah. much rice every time? So like, there was a point where I was just like, you know what, I'm just gonna buy lunch at school <laughs> and be like everyone else. But, you know, the lunches we got at school were never as good as the lunches our parents made. No. But because Asian food was, like, so fragrant, it was, like, one of the things I was self-conscious about. Yes. As a kid. Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) Because it's, like, the moment you (laughs) open that lid, 
the whole Boom. room just smells yeah. like whatever you brought. The whole and aroma it, just escapes. Yeah, but it, the food was always way better oh, than whatever yeah. they served at school. Just not as aesthetically pleasing. No. <laughs> it's, it's always good. It's always Our good. parents put like a lot of love into cooking the mm-hmm. food but not like the appearance of <laughs> they the don't food. care about what people think or smell they don't yeah. um yeah but like food here is like like the american the food that i saw growing up like the school lunches chicken nuggets fries burgers pizza they all look the same color and it's always dry <laughs> <laughs> and I know Asian food is just like a lot of sauces, sometimes broth, like stew. It's usually healthier, too. Healthier, steamed. Yeah. If they, like, I'm just thinking about one of the dishes we have in the Philippines. I don't know if you're, um, if you know this dish is called sinigang. I have no idea. So it has, <laughs> so it's like this soup, um, with, usually pork and then all these other vegetables and i think it's horseradish i forget uh-huh. the english term like i know the filipino word for it but it's like horseradish and when you put it in the soup it smells like mm-hmm. fart like every time it's <laughs> like fart i'm not kidding you and it's just it smells so bad recently like last week we brought sinigang to my sister's house so we transported like a whole pot of it and know me when i drive <laughs> it was just spilling in my car uh-huh. Uh-huh. this the next morning or the next morning when i was about to go to work i get into my car and i'm just like what is this smell like i just got it <laughs> just got into my car i did not fart why does it smell like fart in here and i just <laughs> it's it's, it's yeah. one of the main things like food was so different here yeah um yeah, that's interesting because I grew up kind of differently from you. I was born in Massachusetts and then my family moved to Vermont at yeah, mm-hmm. a very, very young age. And from honestly, like, I did not like growing up in Vermont at all because I really struggled with my Asian American identity for a good part of it. Like, we were the only diverse family in my town i grew up in a really Mm. small town it had about a thousand people in total and i remember very distinctly like in elementary school i looked up the census of my town and it was like it was a pie chart and like 99 (laughs) percent of it was white and then there was Mm. like a tiny slit that said mm-hmm. Asian for people. And that a was my A sprinkle of Asian. <laughs> a sprinkle of diversity. So I, I, even though I was born here, there were similarities in our experience. Like food was a big thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't, my family owned a restaurant growing up and people loved our food, but I never wanted to bring the food my parents made to school i wanted like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and like so basic and like chicken nuggets because <laughs> you know when you're a kid you kind of just want to fit in especially yeah especially being me because i was like i was the only one that looked the way i did and i'm a very tall person so being <laughs> that tall asian girl in like a class full of white people was awkward on its own mm-hmm. right but I think it's interesting that you said that you kind of cruise through school. 
having come from the Philippines, because I really struggled with school. The biggest thing was that my parents were the only adults I felt like in our community at, at the time that didn't speak fluent English. Mm-hmm. So at home, I always spoke Chinese, Mandarin. So I was actually at a lower reading level than my peers up until mm-hmm. like the second or third grade. Because my English was just not on par with everyone else's since my language at home wasn't English. Mm-hmm. So that took like a big toll on my self-esteem as a kid mm-hmm. as well because my parents really valued education and I wasn't mm-hmm. able to catch up in that sector. Like I remember my parents telling me how my aunts and uncles were like concerned for me because they were like, oh, what if she can't speak like perfect English in the future? But eventually I caught up. Like by the time it was fifth grade, I think I was reading at a higher level than some of my peers. So it was balanced for sure. Little did they know that you're going to be a whole ass ICU nurse (laughs) about to be a CRNA. They thought. Oh my God. Yeah, don't expose me like that right now. (laughs) But yeah, it was a real struggle. And I remember like growing up because my family was the only like diverse element of my town there was a lot of unhappy moments like I was bullied quite a bit in middle school from people who I thought were like my friends and they would make fun of like my eyes they would make like jokes about China Mm. my family's business actually got robbed like oh multiple God. times and like we get like racist phone calls and everything mm. so there were a lot of those moments and I'm like really proud of my family because we kind of just mm. stuck together and we knew it was our time to leave when it was our time to leave mm. you know mm-hmm. like my parents till this day I really thank them because they knew that in order to get my brother and I like better education opportunities and stuff, we had to leave where we were living. So they made that decision Mm. for us. Mm, I see. I didn't know that a part of why you moved to Massachusetts was like all that stuff going on in Vermont. Yeah. I like the bullying element of it. I never really told my parents Mm -hmm. because That's another thing about Asian culture, right, is that you're taught from a very young age to kind of keep things to yourself and not Mm -hmm. to burden others, even if they may be your family or friends. You're kind of taught to keep everything to yourself. Mm -hmm. So I never told my parents, but I think my parents could sense it. And at the time, my brother was still fairly young, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't think they wanted the same experience to repeat for him. Mm. That's a very good point. I think that like we're taught at a very young age to be pacifists and not make Mm. any trouble. So like when you have opinions that might conflict with whatever was going on, you know, you have to keep it to yourself because you're not allowed to cause trouble. Yeah. You you just have to go with what's easy and what's safe all the time. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like it just boils down to survival. It's like that's yeah. how they viewed, um, you know, the solution to survive in this foreign country is to keep to yourself and be safe and not cause 
Yeah, like you're taught to blend in. Blend from in, a very exactly, young age. exactly. So, talking about blending in, I remember as a kid, like the first time I went back to China, I was so excited because I was like, oh, this is my chance to kind of fit in. These are my people now. And when I got to China, it was kind of a shock because、mm. no one saw me as Chinese. Because, like, Apparently, when I speak Mandarin, I have quite a distinct American <laughs> accent, <laughs> so people could immediately tell、mm. I wasn't from China. So that was like my first kind of internal conflict with my identity was that moment because I was like, "Oh, if I don't fit in, in in China and I don't fit in in America, where do I fit? What、in? am I? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. What am、mm. I? So." Did you ever feel that way when you went back to the Philippines after being in America? Yeah, I did actually. Surprisingly, because I thought it would, I wouldn't feel that way because I spoke the language fluently and I grew up there, so I thought it would be so easy to just blend right in to like Filipino culture、mm-hmm. again. But if you think about it, all the expressions, you know, the jokes, the words that I know was everything I learned from zero to twelve, and after that, it's just stagnant. <laughs> Like I don't know any new expressions,、yeah. and then I go home and I see my friends, and it's it was hard to fit into their humor. It's different now. It's yeah, you know the expressions that they make is not the same. Like mine is mine are so outdated that I'm just shy. Yeah, you, you know, I don't want to <laughs> use my outdated phrases、yeah. and slang words. So in that sense, it was kind of hard to blend right back in. But it, it wasn't super hard. But I, I can see kind of like the disconnect now because I haven't been there in so long. And then、mm-hmm. here, like you said, unless you have that community when you're just out there, it's also when you're a teenager or when you're in your tweens, it's hard to find who、mm-hmm. you are, especially、yeah. when when um you don't have your community and you're just you're not. Fitting in, and you feel like an outsider all the time. But yeah, I, I did. Yeah. I did feel that when I went home.、Um, and yeah, it's a, it's the same. The Filipino American experience is very similar.、Mm. So, when was the first time you felt like you fit in with your community? It was when, like I was telling you earlier, that Filipino friend I made in middle school. She brought me to that church, and I、yeah. had my Filipino homegirls there that I'm still friends with to this day. <laughs> and、yeah. I think that helped a lot. It helped me keep myself grounded in my culture because I feel like if I didn't have that,、mm-hmm. I would have to look to what I have in school, which is I I didn't have a lot of Asian friends、mm-hmm. there. I didn't have Filipino friends, so that really helped me having that community where. All the other girls share the same humor as I like the same things. We listen to the same type of music, and what helps is that、uh, they're also American. You know, they're not straight from the Philippines.、Mm-hmm. They have that Filipino American struggle, and it's easier when、mm-hmm. you're struggling with other people and you share experiences and process things together than just doing it on your own. So that was very helpful. That's when I started feeling like I fitted in. When I had、mm. Filipinos, and then in college, I was part of the Filipino club, and I I had Asian friends there because 
um, you're not in that bubble anymore. I'm not in that Norwood town bubble. Yeah. And also yeah. my Filipino bubble. So I had, you know, different friends there from different backgrounds. And yeah. there I also found the Filipino community. So, yeah, yeah, that's when I started really figuring out who am I as a Filipino, yeah. who I am as a Filipino American. Yeah. I feel like for me, the first time I started to feel like I fit in was, wasn't actually until college. Mm -hmm. Cause even after my family moved, we we're still in like a predominantly white town. And now that I think back to it, I was still very much so trying to fit in mm -hmm. with like everybody mm -hmm. else. And it wasn't until college when I started making like Asian American friends that I found a group of people that I really felt like I connected with. Cause it's, I don't know how to explain it exactly, but it's just nice not having to explain some of the things you've experienced. Mm -hmm. For instance, like one of the things I think you, me, and a lot of our friends have in common is that we started taking on like very adult responsibilities at a very young age because of the language barriers our parents had. Yeah. Like I was helping my parents file their taxes oh my God. in like middle school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, or like the lunchbox mm -hmm. thing, like being hesitant to bring mm -hmm. food to school or, or like having our parents call us to translate something or file something. You yeah. know what I mean? I've, pretended to be my mom multiple times i'm dolores oh same same <laughs> i like i've called credit card companies on behalf of my mother and i know exactly what to say you will be surprised how easy it is mm -hmm. to pretend to be your parents like i've signed like documents for my mm -hmm. parents on their behalf like just stuff like that it was so nice not having to explain mm -hmm. it to my friends yeah. Like, these were the things that I never really talked about with my friends in high school because it was just such a discussion. Like, I didn't want to talk about, like, why I was so excited to make an apple pie for the first time <laughs> because I've never done it with my family before. Mm -hmm. You know, like, stuff like that. So it was such a relief going to college in the city and meeting people with my, with my background. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, you don't have to explain yourself like I get you. You know, and you don't have you, you don't yeah. have to say that. You just get each other. Yeah. So, it was interesting because naturally as I went on with college, like most of my friends now are Asian Americans who share that same background, you know? Like we always go get Asian food and no one's worried about the fragrance, mm -hmm. you know, For stuff sure. like that. So, yeah, that's definitely when I think I started to feel more comfortable in my own skin and wasn't so focused, so focused on blending yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. Throughout, like, your childhood and even now, were there moments where you felt, like, American culture shock? Because even though we're Americans, like, there were times when I'd go to, like, a friend's house in high school and be surprised <laughs> by how things worked in their house yeah you know yeah I remember having to go to like my first friend going over to her house um how like it was just her mom too she had a single mom mm -hmm. and she was offering me like cookies and 
it was just very, it was very different. I, I can't even explain it. But at the time, I was just like taking in everything that I can. I'm trying to think of other yeah. moments where I, it, it happens constantly. Even to this day, it's still happening. Like going to yeah. people's houses, how different it is. Like I have a Syrian friend and her mm-hmm. culture is also very different. The food that her parents make, you know, how her house is set up how her parents are always at home too. It's different from like my white friends, how their parents are never home and it's just up to them to like figure things out. So it's still happening constantly for sure. I feel like one moment of culture shock I had, I distinctly remember was that when my, when my parents first allowed me (gasps) to go over to like my friends' houses in middle school and high school, I saw my friends' parents use the oven. <laughs> and I don't know if this was just my family, but my family. You never use it to store pans. Oven. We lit <laughs> pots and pans. Yes. That's what my family used the oven for. And the first time I visited one of my friends and her mom was baking cookies in the oven, I was like, whoa. Like, I never. It just, like, never registered. It's so funny because we actually have – we had an oven when I was in the Philippines. But it was given to us by mm-hmm. this white missionary family who my parents were friends with. And I don't think other uh-huh. people really had ovens. Like, it was just, like, a strange – Yeah. We would bake, like, once in a while, but it was a strange kind of thing to do. Yeah, we never baked it's a very american so that was like you steam you steam your desserts like egg custards you steam it you don't really bake it in the oven right yeah well well you know like how they have like mini ovens i feel like that's what people in asia mostly use are those like small ovens that you can buy at like walmart or target and you just plug Mm. in do you know what i'm talking about i don't know like a oven toaster yeah, like a toaster oh, okay. oven. Toaster yeah. oven. Uh. So my parents, like right now in our house, we literally have a toaster uh-huh. oven that they use all the time, even though they have a perfectly fine <laughs> oven. Oven. <laughs> like they use the oven oven to store pots and pans, and then they use the toaster oven when they need to bake something. <laughs> Which I'm like, I really I don't, don't get, get it. it but... I don't know why they have this inclination to store bread and snacks in appliances like dishwashers ovens in my microwave we have a bunch of bread in there i can't even use it so i just eat my food cold now because i'm so lazy to take out the food oh my gosh that's the other thing dishwashers like we've always had a dishwasher but it wasn't until i went to high school that my parents started using it and i was like why haven't we used this like we're I was like, we're a family of four. We have a lot of dishes. Why have we never used the dishwasher? It's just kind of our way to try to be American. <laughs> like, oh, we have a dishwasher. We have an <laughs> oven. It's like when yeah, guests oh, came over, we use the dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. For real. I was like. Yeah. Yeah, those were the things that, like, didn't click for me until much later in life. It's so funny. And, yeah, it's funny you mentioned (laughs) the sleepovers because 
you know how like at the time you would be scared to even just ask your parents if you could go out to the mall or like for lunch oh, yeah. or dinner with friends because you know they'd say no you know, i was scared yeah. with my parents they're very strict and traditional and i never got to go to oh yeah my parents, well, my parents didn't let me go to sleepovers either until mm -hmm. i was in like high school so yeah but i mean that's the other thing like so many of my asian american yeah. friends share that common like experience so it's just something exactly. we don't have to explain how do you feel your mindset about being Asian American has changed over the years, if it's changed at all. It's definitely changed over the years. I think I've just accepted that there isn't like a set like Filipino American experience. Like, of course, like you can share a mm -hmm. lot of similarities with other people, but it's really up to you how you're going to unpack all those traditional and ideals and values that your parents pass off to you and what you're going to keep and what you're going to kind of change and mm -hmm. it's still changing now and I think I've just accepted that it's it's a lifelong journey I think being Filipino mm, yeah. American there's a lot of things that I appreciate I, it's a privilege to see both sides and I've started yeah you know, I don't really feel like an outsider anymore because I've found my community and that's very helpful. But it is a privilege to mm -hmm. have a perspective on both cultures. I think that growing up in the yeah. Philippines was a privilege because one, I'm very grateful that I know the language. And two, yeah. I, I know the culture by heart, the values that you know, not only my parents passed on to me, but the values that I've seen growing up there, you know, like resilience. And a lot of people there struggle mm -hmm. with poverty and just, you know, how to survive through that, through community and family and, um, yeah, working together. And there's a lot of things that I appreciate as a Filipino and as American. I think that it, the Filipino American experience is very nuanced, very different. It's very different because you get both sides mm -hmm. of the coin. So yeah, it's, it's helpful. You know, there's still a lot of things that I'm unpacking, like mental health, religion, all that stuff. Yeah, oh, mental yes. health, mental health. It's, it's, not it's something not something yeah and that's <laughs> that's for another podcast it's a big thing and like filipino american yeah, culture yeah it's so traditional they i feel like it's because we don't have that a lot of people are so fo focused on survival right so survival and having food on mm -hmm. the table and just living and they don't reach that the mm -hmm. hierarchy of needs of self-actualization you don't have that privilege but our parents yeah. coming here they gave us that option to reach that point in the pyramid yeah. where we get to figure things out yeah. and unpack things and, you know, f just figure out who you are yeah. as a person, as a, and as an individual, our parents are so caught up in surviving and fending for their family that they don't, they didn't have that yeah. option really. But yeah, that's that's another thing. There's so many yeah. things that you just try to figure out. But yeah, I feel like the part you just said about parents and kind of 
allowing their mm-hmm. kids to have better opportunities is a common narrative amongst mm-hmm. many immigrant families. And tying back to how that's changed my perspective of being Asian American, I remember when I was young, I was actually pretty resentful mm. of my parents because they worked seven days a week, mm. like 10 hours every day. They yeah. never had time to celebrate like Christmases or big holidays or big birthdays they were always there when Mm -hmm. I needed their support and everything but I it it made me sad because like Mm -hmm. they never had the time to kind of Mm -hmm. attend my band practices or my school recitals and stuff so for a time I was really Mm -hmm. resentful towards my parents And I relied heavily on my grandmother, who did have the time to kind of come to my band practices, bring me lunches at school and stuff. But as I grew older, I came to realize that my parents' decisions back then weren't a choice. Like, that's what they had to do to put put food on the table and to allow me to, like, learn to play the clarinet to pay for all these extracurriculars that I wanted to pursue and to pay for my college education you know so that's one of the things that's changed about my mindset about being Asian American is kind of the hard work aspect like having witnessed how hard my parents tried just to survive I think it's my responsibility to create a an even better future for mm-hmm. my next yeah. generation. Like, I think I exactly. owe it to my parents to do that. Yeah. And the other thing is my parents growing up, even though they were so busy, they never neglected our Chinese background. Like they always made it a priority to make sure that I was well-rooted with my Chinese like traditions so they sent me to Chinese school so that I could practice Chinese they made sure we had family trips to China and they would physically like Mm -hmm. close our business for months just so we could spend a summer in China they made sure to make Chinese New Year Mm -hmm. or Lunar New Year a really big deal every year so having grown up with that kind of mindset it's now important to me to share that with my future generation like those traditions were the kind of things that I kind of never talked about with my friends from elementary school to high school because they Mm -hmm. weren't Asian American like they couldn't really relate they didn't understand why I always needed a day off in February (sighs) or why I wasn't in school because they didn't celebrate Lunar New Year you know so now that I'm older I'm less resistant mm. to share those experiences with yeah. non-Asian Americans. Like, if they're curious, I'm more than happy to, like, share my food, share my culture. Because it's something yeah. I'm really and proud of And you're accepting of, of who you are. I think that's that's a big, like, key of our growth. Like, from high school and college where we're mm-hmm. still learning about ourselves. Like, at one point in middle school, we shut it, we shut it down. Like, you know, we kind of just kept it in a little bottle. Yeah. And then at this point now, we're after college we're working and we're exposed to different people like we're so accepting of ourselves that we also want to share that with other people and how beautiful our culture is yeah no I'm definitely 
a lot more mm -hmm. open to like sharing my views like yeah. I bring Asian food to work all the time yeah. like let the fragrance yeah, you spread. just can't keep that in a box <laughs> like let it shine you can't you have to yeah you can't you um, really can't but you know what's sad now though is that with covid like the amount of asian american hate crimes yeah. has kind yeah. of skyrocketed right it's gone up by crazy numbers so it's one of those things where i feel like our culture is being silenced mm -hmm. a little again because of the fear of these like crimes and what's upsetting is that american no. media really no. isn't covering it like the only the the only times i've heard about these crimes is through asian media mm -hmm. outlets like next shark like i don't see cnn or abc you know what's so funny well it's not funny it's actually sad, but I was just talking to my dad earlier because I was talking to him about our podcast and what we're going to talk about. And I was talking to him about mm -hmm. the rise of Asian American hate crimes, and he had no idea because it's not covered. It's, like, it's, it's really not because it's like people who follow Neck Shark and stuff are like, Mm, young yeah. asian americans it's like our generation like the older generation doesn't know how to use technology and media enough to like access these yeah. smaller media outlets right but what's sad is that it's these older generations exactly. that are being targeted like if you look at the crimes being committed a lot of them are senior mm -hmm. citizens or they have no idea women. they just go out and like get you know? on with their business and the next thing you know they're like targets of violence and it's just so sad and yeah. horrifying like seeing all those pictures and videos of old yeah. like our elderly being shoved to the ground for no reason yeah it's just so sad to see yeah it, and that brings us back to that topic where it's like the older generations of, of asian americans specifically are so used to being to keeping yeah. their issues to your, themselves. But this isn't an issue that mm -hmm. they should keep to themselves, you know? Like, silence can be really dangerous yeah. in a situation like this. It's true, and that's why it's our responsibility, you know, young Asian Americans who have access to media and who know, we know how to navigate it and we know how to use their voice. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I'm proudest right now is the fact that you see all these younger asian americans yeah. utilizing social media yeah. to address this issue like i found out through instagram that someone's mom in flushing new york got shoved to the ground by a man like a younger man and her mom was just like going grocery shopping yeah. you know this asian woman wasn't doing anything and ended up having to get stitches because of this guy's violence and anger. Mm -hmm. But she posted it on social media, and I think they were actually able to track him down. I'm not sure, but I think they tracked him down. And yeah, he's like it's so powerful when you now. know how to use social media because we actually have like a lot of power sharing our opinions and voices through it. Like even just taking your camera out and taking a video, um, which is which is sad because. Yeah. You see the videos, there's a lot of people around what's going on and the crimes happening and no one's really intervening and saying something and it just happens and no. then it's not until you see it on social media that 
things like people do something about it. But that, like in New York, there's so many people yeah. there and no one's doing a thing. It's really crazy. Like in Pennsylvania, a Asian businesswoman, like same background as my parents, had like a group of young men come in and try to steal stuff and she ended up chasing them and they beat her up. Yeah. Like there's a video of it online, which is absolutely ridiculous because like you there said, are there, are people, there are like bystanders around, but no one's address no one's addressing this level of violence, even though the percentage of hate crimes against Asian Americans mm -hmm. has literally skyrocketed mm -hmm. since the start of COVID. Like, the fact that no American media outlet is addressing it, it is, is kind of yeah, infuriating. It infuriating. Um, it's so sad. It's like these people, like you said, your grandmother was the one um, who she was present for you instead of your parents. It's like these people that loved us so much and like we have so yeah. much respect for them too. And like our in our culture, we your your yeah. grandma lives with you. You know, my grandpa lives with us too. And it's just like we we prioritize every yeah. single person in our family, and we have so much respect for our elderly, especially. And them doing this, like those people, um, it's just so disrespectful to our culture. Especially, it's like especially targeting yeah. our elderly. Like just target us, like the young people. Not, not elderly, not my Lola and my Lolo, you know? It's just so disrespectful yeah. to just, not just, like, you know, our culture and humans. Like, how how do you sleep at night knowing that you just yeah. shoved, like, an elderly person to the ground who's defenseless and vulnerable and who can fight? Like, I just cannot yeah. wrap my head around that. Yeah, and being nurses... In like pretty acute hospitals we know how yeah. deadly a fall can be to a patient who's older you know so yeah it's just scary but i mean i of course this has this whole situation has like a huge impact on anyone who's asian american you know but how how do you feel like it so impacts you specifically I'm, I'm pretty grateful that it doesn't happen in massachusetts Right, so my my Lola, my grandmother is still alive, mm -hmm. and she's like eighty eight, and she still goes out and goes to yeah. the mall, and I don't know now what she's up to, but like you know, before COVID, she would just be out and do her own thing, and just thinking about like I don't live with her, and I don't mm -hmm. really know what she's doing. Just thinking about her being out and these things happening, it makes me afraid. I'm I'm for her and yeah i'm glad that she lives with my uncle yeah. and my cousin but like for all those other people like i have a grandma too in seattle and she lives by herself and just for her to go and be in danger like that constantly it just scares me that's definitely something for me mm -hmm. too because i moved away from home to a new city this past year and now I'm not around like my parents and my grandma anymore. So it definitely worries me a yeah. lot more because yeah. I'm so far away from them, you know? But I think the other thing is that I find myself having a far like lower tolerance for racism than ever before. Like one since COVID started, at mm -hmm. work, I've noticed more racism. 
whether it's through patients, sometimes like coworkers, um, not, not at my mm-hmm. new job, but like at some of my old jobs, there were like remarks that were made, not necessarily like maliciously, mm-hmm. but it was out of like ignorance. I feel like, like racist remarks, mm-hmm. do, like made out of mm-hmm. ignorance rather than like malicious intent. So I noticed that being a pattern more, but now I find myself yeah, kind of yeah. calling out that behavior more often because I'm starting to recognize like, even if you're not saying something like that to necessarily yeah. cause me physical pain or hurt, yeah. it's still like not okay. Yeah. Like before I, I may like brush it off the shoulder, but now I kind of, I, I find myself caught yeah i find myself yeah. calling out that i totally agree with that especially with like aside from the pandemic and um like the rise in asian american like racism too it's like so bad and overt right now like they're just out there being racist with they feel like there are no consequences because that's the type of culture that like our recent like presidency has perpetuated almost like it's okay to be racist and yeah. right now like I think it's also yeah. a responsibility to use our voices to like no more of the being quiet and keeping to yourself type thing. Like me too. Like I usually, I don't voice yeah. out my opinions as often, but like lately I've been learning that mm-hmm. I need to, because otherwise like they're just going to keep going. Like it's not going to stop. Like you actually have to stand up for yourself and it's not just for for us like we have to do it for our people and our family members who can't who don't feel like yeah they can really do the same like if if not for language barriers for other reasons you know who are yeah more kind of savvy in navigating like american culture i feel like we have a big responsibility to speak up for sure wow well, I think this is a nice, sweet spot to end today's podcast. If you don't know about the Asian American hate crimes that have been on the rise, I highly suggest that you look into it because this is a serious concern for our community. But in the end, thank you, Hannah, for being on this episode. It was so nice talking to you. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in on another episode of All Too Familiar. Hi. I will see